Great to see all of you. I wanted to uh, tell you that Abrain and I worked hard this afternoon at uh, making sure the parking lot was uh, salted for you, uh, thanks to Malone's uh, landscaping for uh, scooping it for us. But today, uh, many of you know I have a man van, a minivan, a, a maroon van. I'm very excited about it. And if you ridicule me, uh, I will uh, meet you out in the parking lot later on the ice. And, um, but today, uh, picture this. Um, Brandon's in the back of my van. Brandon, our, our worship leader, he's in the back of my van. We've filled the back of my van with salt. And I'm just driving around the parking lot, and he's just like scooping it out. It was like one of the cool, I laughed for about a half an hour straight, right? And, and he didn't have any gloves, so one of his gloves was uh, one of the things he found in Lost and Found. And then on his other hand, he had golf clubs in the back, so he used his three-wood cover as his other glove. And so we're like walking around the parking lot, scooping salt. It was pretty unbelievable. That's neither here nor there, just kind of a fun story for today. To make sure that all of you are safe and sound here in the lot. So did you make it okay? All right, no slips and falls, no lawsuits coming, wonderful. Well, um, it's great to have you here, and uh, tonight is a special night. I'll explain why here in a second, but before we do that, at the Sigma household, I have three uh, chitlins, three children. I have a little girl named Avery, a little boy named Dawson, and another little boy named Maddox. Uh, they're all four and under, which means our house is a circus. And, um, but amidst the circus and the chaos, one of my favorite things about our household is, uh, is bedtime. And so we, we do family worship together. Uh, you're laughing because you're like, that's when the kids go to bed. No, it, I, like, hold on a second. Like, wait, wait on it here, right? Um, so we do family worship together, and, and then Dawson goes to bed around uh, 8, a little bit before everyone else, because he has completely expended all of his energy. And, uh, and then Avery and I have this, this really special, like, half an hour time frame where we read books and our new thing is, like, we cuddle together on the couch and put it, she's like, Daddy, go get a blanket, and we just watch, you know, TV, or we just hang out and talk. It's really, really cute. And then we head up uh, to her room at the Tucker Inn. And one of the things that I know is coming every single night is after, we, uh, after I tuck her in and we get things nice and cozy and all the lights situated and the night lights going, uh, she says, Daddy, can you, can you tell me a princess story now? Now, this happens every night, and I want to tell you something about my daughter. She's looking for something completely unique, all right? She doesn't want to hear about Cinderella or Ariel or, you know, Snow White, and I know all the princesses, trust me, right? She, she doesn't want to hear any. She wants a completely unique story, and she's very, very quick to show if, if she thinks the story's lame. Like, if my daughter thinks my princess story is lame, like, she just completely checks out, and she sucks her thumbs. She's, like, looking off them, but when she's really engaged when I've got her in like the palm of my hand, it's a beautiful moment, right? So picture me having to create so far like over 200 unique princess stories, right? <laughs> picture what some of these stories get to, right? Just to give you a, a, a little bit of imagination, last night's story uh, was about this princess who loved to, wear, uh, loved to wear hats. And again, I'm just like making all this up as I go. She loved to wear hats, but the problem is when you're a princess and you wear hats, like there's no place for the crown. So the whole story was centered around how she had to call in this tailor-made hat maker from a distant, uh, from a distant uh, kingdom to come in and make her a hat where she could put the crown on the end, you know? And she was enthralled. I mean, she's like wide-eyed. She's like wondering what's going to happen next. or the hat's going to fall off? Is the crown going to break, right? And what, what I realized is the stories, this all has a point, the stories that my daughter loves are the stories that have this deep integral main character. If it's like peripheral princess jargon, like she cares not. But if the focus of the story is on the princess, like who the princess is and what the princess does and how the princess talks or whatever princess is, you know, thank God I have two boys after her, right? But, but I love it because she just gets enthralled with this main character. It's no different for you and I, right? Uh, we, we love a good main character. Braveheart isn't Braveheart without William Wallace. Amen? 
right? Gladiator isn't gladiator without Maximus, right? Like, these stories are strong because they have really good main characters. Seinfeld isn't Seinfeld without Seinfeld, right? Like, it doesn't happen. For us in the scripture, big night for us, we've now finished our, our fifth book. We're five years old. You can see our pace. We spent 18 months in Genesis, two years in the Gospel of Luke, a year in 1 John, a year in 1 Peter, and about four and a half months in Daniel. But tonight what we get to do is recap and close up this book, Daniel. And here's what I've realized in preparing to recap this. Is we have had an amazing theological discussion, strong truth, strong doctrine, but we have had an incredible main character, haven't we? I mean, the stories and this main character, Daniel, has really been awe-inspiring. And so, as I've stepped back in preparation for tonight, with all confidence, I can say this. Daniel is a man of God. And so, as I've looked at his character and the things that make him up, the things that drive him, would I feel best served tonight in a recap? If we can confidently say that Daniel is a man of God... In a culture where we need to challenge men more, where men are becoming more like females every day, but where men are being called to be leaders, not only in their homes, but in their schools and in their workplaces, strong, godly, biblical men, in that kind of setting and culture, what I've realized is what best serves us is to examine the character of Daniel And look at the ways that Daniel is a man of God. That we as men tonight can be challenged. That females can be challenged because none of these themes are biblically exclusive to males. And also for you females, you're going to get a list of ten things tonight that if you're dating you should be looking for. If you're married you can be pushing your husband in. And if you're not dating, waiting on someone, it will give you a phenomenal picture of the kind of man it is that you're to marry and to search for. Are we savvy with all this? Now... I want to say one thing to the men before we get going. You better put your helmet on tonight. All right? It's time for us to take a deep journey looking at what a godly biblical man is. And so I pray if you walked in here struggling with your manhood, struggling with what it means to be a biblical godly man, tonight you'll get your picture. And again, females, all of these themes work just for you as well. How many females do we have in the house tonight? All right, good. There's... And some confused. Okay, now, listen, to get us going, everyone's going to get a little sheet to help us. So I have leaders to pass out sheets. There's extra pens in your pews. You need a pen and one of these sheets. So we have a bunch of leaders who are mobilizing right now. Everyone needs one of these handy-dandy little sheets that you'll be able to list these out in great numerical order, 1 through 10, all right? So get a piece of paper here. These are our leaders passing out. Can you guys just give it up for our leaders here? They're doing so good so far. Process is wonderful. Well done. This is probably the slowest process I've ever seen in my life currently. Okay. Again, there's extra pens. Does anyone else need a pen? Do we have enough pens? Everyone have a pen. All right. We're good on the pens. Okay, Max, you got a pen there, bro? You good? You're good? All right. Pass those out there. How many rows are still without a piece of paper and a pen? Okay, this row we've just completely forgotten about. There's the forgotten, the middle of the... You're good. They're, they're getting there. All right. We good? Everyone over here have a piece of paper? Wait, we, we got a... There we go. 
We got a leaker over here, okay? We had an extra. Did I just say leaker? All right. Are we good? Everyone good. Everyone have one. All right, now tonight I want to I encourage you with this. Um, I'm going to be putting scripture references and all kinds of lists on the screen for you. But I want to encourage you as well on our website after tonight, all of these scriptures are going to be provided as well uh, next to the teaching. So if for some reason you miss a scripture and you want to go back, you just hop on our website, hit teachings, and we rock and roll. You guys ready to do this? All right. Now, a godly man, a biblical man, I looked through this whole book of Daniel with our staff, and we came up with ten things that we think a godly man is. The first is this in no numerical order. Daniel's a man of God, and a man of God is a man of no compromise. A man of God is a man of no compromise. We see this specifically in two main areas of Daniel's life. The first put up the scripture is in Daniel 1 chapter 8. This is where we first met Daniel. All of these deportees come from Jerusalem into Babylon, deported there by Nebuchadnezzar as he takes over Jerusalem, 50 to 75 of these youths. And he begins a brainwashing process in Daniel and and the other Jews. But in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, we see Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Daniel is a man of no compromise, remembering that at this point he's how old? Anyone remember? Between, yeah, 14 to 17 years old. He's a young guy, but a young man, not a young boy. And that's the thing that I love so much about Daniel. The next place where we see that he's a man of no compromise, next slide, is in chapter 6, verse 10. You remember that um, Belshazzar puts out this, uh, rather Cyrus puts out this huge decree. No one is to pray to me. Uh, No one is to pray to any other God except me. And here's what Daniel does. Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times and he prayed. A man of God is a man with no compromise. Uh, the image that I get in my head, it's like you can dangle what any, whatever kind of carrot or piece of meat for a lion that you want, but there's nothing that can entice the man of God. There's nothing that's enticing. Why? Because the man of God keeps comparing it to God. And so he's like, you want to dangle that in front of me? It doesn't even compare to God. So it doesn't even matter. You can't entice me. I don't have a price. I can't be bought. I think for many men in here who would claim to be men of high integrity and godly men, there's like this breaking point. You give yourself credit for the fact that you can like inch toward this place of not being bought. I can't be bought. I can't be bought. But that price, I can't refuse. The worldly man has a price. The godly man is a man of no compromise. You put whatever you want in front of me, but I will not give in. That's the godly man. That's the man we see in Daniel, and that's number one. And so, men, I ask you now, are you a man of compromise? Do you have a price? Can you be bought? Or can anything dangle in front of you, whatever it may be, and you say, no, my God is greater? I say that to the females as well. Do you have a price? Can you be bought? The second thing that we see a man of God is, is a man who is a good steward of the truth. A godly man, a biblical man, a strong man of God is a good steward of the truth. Now, I want to show you three specific instances throughout this book of Daniel where he has been an amazing steward of the truth. The first is this. 
He's interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. And for those of you that are just joining us, you'll have to listen back to all of the dreams and all of the Nebuchadnezzar discussions, but this will still be helpful. And he says this, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another. It shall break to pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, why is this significant? Because Daniel, as a young man, looks in the world emperor's eyes And he's saying things like this. It would be very easy to be a bad steward of the truth, to shift the truth in fear of whatever may happen, but not Daniel. Confident in his calling, confident in who God is, he is a good steward of the truth. The next instance we see, next slide, is Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. And and, and now look at this. Daniel calls Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel, this Jew, deported, looking the world's monarch in the eyes and calls him to the table, calls him to repentance because he's a man of God and a good steward of the truth. He doesn't hold the truth inside his heart. It must come out. Lastly, he says this. Next slide. After uh, when he's interpreting the handwriting on the wall that Belshazzar is struggling with, he says this, But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So, in the first, he interprets the dream, tough truth. The second, he calls the king to repentance. And here, he calls an apple an apple. You have not honored God. Doesn't even call him to repentance. Just puts out the truth. Men in here, are you a good steward of the truth? Do you know the truth? Does the word of God drive your your pursuit of knowledge? Knowing more of who God is, knowing more of who his character is. Are you a man of the scriptures? Can that be said of you? Wherever you go, your sword is. It cracks me up sometimes. I'll go to these schools at times that are um, are even Christian schools. And I'll ask, uh, at one time I can remember a few years ago, asking the dudes to get out their Bibles. And like three out of 200 had, had their swords with them. I'm like, this is, this is our pool of, of, of knowledge and the wealth of all the things that God has given us right here. Do you know the truth? But not just knowing, are you living it? That's being a good steward of the truth. Knowing and living and not just knowing and living, but knowing, living, and sharing Those three things, men, make you a good steward of the truth. So some of you may feel like, yeah, I know all the answers, but I'm really struggling at living, really struggling at sharing. That is not a godly man. The godly man is a good steward of the truth. Savvy? Number three on your list is this. One of my favorites. This may seem funny to you, but Daniel, as a man of God, is a man who values other godly men. The worldly man isolates himself. The worldly man says, I have all the answers. I don't need counsel. I don't need wisdom. I don't need discipleship. I don't need anyone else to pour into me. The godly man says, no, I must surround myself with other men who can sharpen me, hold me accountable, pour into me, disciple me. One of the truest marks of whether or not you're a boy or a man in this room is whether or not you've surrounded yourself with men, older men who are pouring in. 
I know it's so easy to be 18, 19, 20, 21, looking in the mirror thinking you got the world by the, by the continents. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I run this show. I do my own gig. Look, I, look, Mom, I even got an academic scholarship, right? I know, it's so, I know it's so enticing to think that to yourself. And I would even say for you older men, we get in that same mentality. But come on now, I'm 45 years old. Surely I have a good grasp of the world. But there's always someone older, there's always someone wiser on this earth, there's always someone with more experience. You see what I'm saying? We see this in two instances in Daniel's life. The first is this. He goes back after hearing from Ariarch, the chief executioner of Nebuchadnezzar, that every wise man is going to die. And this is what he does. He goes back to his house and made the manner known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Daniel is a godly man who values other godly men. No, I must be surrounded by other men. I'm a strong leader, I know that, but I must be, I must be sharpened, I must be held accountable. And he also hooks his brothers up. Look at this next passage. In uh, in chapter 2, verse 49, after he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream correctly, Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. He doesn't, a pride doesn't own him. He's consistently trying to put other men in their life. Now, I want to do a, I want to share a little something about our heartbeat here as a church. We have a huge heart for discipleship. We believe that discipleship is a godly call, a godly mandate, a biblical, a desire of Jesus for his disciples and for all of us to not only be discipled, but to be pouring into others. We believe it so much that this past summer, we took an entire summer and wrote a huge discipleship module. Right now, listen to this, 75% of our covenant members in this church are either being discipled or discipling others. We think that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. Our people are owning it and desiring it. But let me, let me give you just a quick action point. If you're here tonight and you're like, you know what, I don't have any of these kind of people in my life. I don't have godly men speaking in. I don't have godly women speaking in. I, I have no one to disciple me. I desire discipleship, but I don't know where to turn. On your little, uh, there's a little card in your pews. And on it, there's a place to circle. Like, I want more information on discipleship. If that's you tonight, a quick action point. After the service, you can do that. Here's my name. Give me more information on discipleship. A godly man is a man of action. A man who doesn't just sit and say, you know what? Yeah, I have no godly men. I never will because, you know, I'm, I'm blah, 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 blah. And no. Here's an opportunity for you in a church community that believes strongly in discipleship. Take the opportunity. Take advantage. And Jared Corzon, who, who is over that entire process, will be back in touch with you. Number four. Next slide, please. Daniel, I love this. Daniel, the godly man, is a man that fears God and not men. Now, let me tell you something. He values other men. Values other men. Has strong relationships with other, uh, with other men. But he doesn't fear other men. And I try to put this as best as I can in a statement. Look at this statement. Next slide. Daniel stands before three different emperors. Let me explain what that means. They're in charge of the world, okay? Outside of God, like these three people that he's standing in front of are the greatest dictators and monarchs of their time. He stands before three emperors, 120 satraps, uh, which which sounds like a weird contraption, but it's actually like a person who's over a particular territory, 120 satraps, two other presidents, a chief executioner, Ariarch, many wise men, and remains true to his calling. Listen, all these powerful people stand before him. And he's like, but you're not all powerful. 
In fact, your power was given to you by my God, so you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. I fear God more than you. Listen, men, you feel like that's the stirring of your heart? I don't care what advantage you can provide me. I don't care what relationship you can afford me. I don't care how you make me feel about my self-esteem or how much you encourage me. Compared to my God, you're nothing. And so I fear God and not man. I honestly believe this is, for you men in here in particular, one of our greatest struggles. In our desire to need to be affirmed. How many of you men right now would say your love language is, is affirm- words of affirmation? Okay? All right? Okay, good. So two of us and the rest of you have, don't even know what that means. Um, you're like, love language? Like, that sounds like a, a crazy school subject. Right now, I, I know for most men, there's this longing in us to be affirmed, to be encouraged by others. Hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, look at you. That's the pride piece of us. And in that desire, we begin to think that we get our affirmation and our encouragement from men and not from God. Uh, listen, let me, let me put this in another way. The godly man spends their whole life being affirmed. The worldly man spends their whole life wondering. Let me tell you what I mean. The, the, the worldly man spends their whole life wondering, what does she think about me? What does he think about me? What are they saying about me? What, like, what's going on in their mind when they leave here? What are, the, what are they processing? Do you think they like me? Do you think they don't like me? The worldly man spends their life wondering. The godly man spends their life affirmed because they have the promises of God. I don't need a question. God's promises are my truth. I don't need to wait on any man to say anything. I'm affirmed in God, and God clearly keeps his promises, and so I don't need to waver at all. God is true, all of you will fail, and so I rest in God. You see the difference? I believe many of you men, especially aspiring to be men, but currently boys, you need to rid of this desire in you to wonder all the time. What do they think? What does she think? You think she likes me? Blah, 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 blah. And for one moment, do a, do a moment of comparison. And in your mind, stand a human up against Christ and see where you come up with. Human, Christ. Failed, destined to death, completely fallible, no ability apart from the love of Christ to love anyone else except themselves. Christ, Savior, Redeemer, blood purchased, yourself, all of these things. Put those up next to each other and then ask yourself, who do I fear? And I'm trying to get in a better rhythm of daily doing that instead of just seeing like eye to eye and face to face. And it's so easy to do that. All right, I could keep going, but I won't. Next slide. A man of God is a man of prayer. Now, um, this, this doesn't mean that one time you prayed, okay? Like one time and while watching Meet the Parents, like you, you know, bowed your head and made up some really awesome prayer at dinner. That's not what we're talking about here. A godly man, the biblical man, is a man that if they pray consistently in the same spot, there would be knee grooves worn out of the carpet where they prayed. Because they spent so much time pleading. And all this birthed out of their fear of God, not man. So we see this in Daniel in a couple instances, both of which we've, we've already essentially talked about. He's uh, told that, you can't pray to any other God or any other person except Cyrus. And what does he do? 
He goes back to his room, and I love the end of this verse, and he prays as what? As he had done previously. You can't change my rhythm. I'm going to keep praying. I don't care what you say. You can't change what I do. I don't care who you are. I don't care what powers you think you have. I will pray because I must pray because my lifeline is connected to God, right? Next slide. We see this as well in this uh, piece. Again, we already saw this. Daniel goes to his house and made the matter known. His life is on the line, and many of you at this point, you turn just to panic mode. Someone says, hey, your life's on the line. You're going to be killed, and you just, like, go crazy. You're trying to, you know, you're basically trying to do all of your New Year's resolutions in one fell swoop because you know you're going to die. Instead, what does Daniel do? He prays. Many of you would be like, I don't have time to pray in that moment. And Daniel says, I don't have time not to pray. You see? Uh, so for you guys in here, are, are you a man of prayer right now? Would you say, I am a man of prayer? And here's the evidence. I believe that prayer is my lifeline. I plead through the high priest Jesus on a daily, consistent basis, not because I think God looks down and says, way to go, but because I know without it, my communion with God is not near as connected. And, and I'll just take a second here to talk to you females. How many females are here again? Just by, okay. A few more hands, right? Some of you have figured it out. Um, what I, what's interesting to me is a lot of times I'll talk to uh, females who say, there's no godly guys around here, right? Like all these guys are just posers, you know, they're, and, and, and uh, to a few females um, here in the last month, I've said, just, just out of curiosity, just curious, how much time have you spent pleading uh, that God would bring a godly man in your life? Well, what do you mean? I mean, there's no godly men out there. It's like, fair enough, you know? The heart of you females at times, it's way easier at times just to like look out and complain. Or if you're married here, complain about your husband. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. Can I just ask you, especially you married females now, how much time do you spend just pleading for your husband? God, help this man. God, hone this man. God, push into this man. Listen, I, I believe my wife is a praying wife. And I can't tell you how much of a blessing it is to get the random text from her that say, honey, I just want you to know that right this second, me and Avery and the kids are praying for you. And I know it's one thing to like send a nice text, you know, and, and not mean it, because some of us do that too. Hey, praying for you. Yeah, right, seriously. But, but when I get those texts, I'm reminded that my wife desires to pray for me as a man because she realizes my role is tough. So for you women in here, how about we start complaining about what guys aren't and start praying that God will make them into guys that are. And for you men in here who think that somehow by getting on your knees and, and literally wearing out negroves in the carpet makes you somewhat less of a man, no, it's the godly man. And you know what it's seen in? It's seen in the Lord Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his death, is on his knees, pleading, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Sweating, drops of blood. That's the Christ, you see. And so for you men in here discouraged about prayer, let me encourage you, the godly man, the biblical man is a man of prayer. Next slide. Number six. The godly man is a man who trusts 
that God is sovereign. I want to focus first on the word trust. The godly man, the biblical man, is a man who trusts, has deep faith rooted in the power of God, the strength of God, the rhythm of God. So much so that God can carry out his plan. And it's most seen in this uh, song, really, of Daniel's in chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, similar to Psalm 145. To whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He's in control, Daniel says. He removes kings and sets up kings. Pretty poignant statement coming from Daniel's perspective. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. That's a man who's saying, God is literally in control. And I've taught this many times through Daniel. His faith is steady. I know many of you guys have complete manic faith. I mean, you're literally on a roller coaster. God is good. I'm not sure if God exists. God is good. I don't know where you are, God. Have you ever felt that way before today, right? It's like we have this manic faith. The difference is Daniel just believes God is sovereign. God's in control. He takes care of it all. He takes kings away and puts kings in power. And so because of that, it doesn't matter what happens. I remain unwavered. I trust that God is sovereign. Now, uh, for you married women in here, you'll know this kind of man when you, when you see him because this is the kind of man that no matter what the finances, no matter what the chaos and the struggle in the house, no matter how reckless at times the kids are, that he's the man that is constantly saying God is in control, he is sovereign, he's good, and doesn't replace God's sovereignty with lack of responsibility. God's sovereignty does not negate personal responsibility. And so if you married a man that is constantly saying, God's in control, God's in control. When was the last time you looked at the online banking? Last year, but God's in control. God's sovereignty does not negate personal responsibility. A man who trusts in God's sovereignty is also the kind of men that you'll see are extremely responsible. They don't take their faith away. In fact, their faith drives their responsibility. You see what I'm saying? And I know for many of you uh, younger dudes, you college guys, you young singles, that's like your card to get out of every relationship, right? Females, you've heard it before. It's like they get it out of their wallet, you know? Well, God told me that I just need to focus on God for a little bit. And females, by the way, you're notorious for that as well, right? And I'm not saying that at times it's not true. But we throw God's sovereignty card out when it's convenient for us. Oh, God told me yesterday when I wasn't praying that I wasn't supposed to go out with you anymore, okay? I also haven't read my scriptures in two months, but I'm pretty sure God told me that, right? These kind of godly biblical men and women don't use God's sovereignty as a card that they play. They believe it in the times of pain and hurt and struggle. And it's in those moments that you know they trust God is sovereign. It's not in times when it's convenient. It's not in times when it's surrounded by blessing. It's in times of hurt and turmoil and pain when those kind of men throw their lives on the line like Daniel saying, do whatever you want. Throw me in a den of lions. I care not. God is in control. Next slide. Number seven, speaking of, a man of God is a man who is ready to suffer for the huge piece of this statement, for God's glory. Because there's something innately in all dudes 
We want to suffer so that people will look to us, no matter what the situation. And especially for some of you Christians here, right? It's like, if I could just be a Christian martyr without dying, then, then think of the stories I would have. Every church would, this dude, he was over in crazy situations in Southeast Asia, smuggling Bibles, and this came really close to dying, but he didn't. And this dude is that same guy inwardly that's just like, I am literally super Christian. You know what I mean? Like, look at me. Listen, it's very, very, very clear in Daniel's life. He's not interested at all in suffering for his own sake. Because he, he's constantly passing the buck. Don't, no, it's God's glory. He had the potential to suffer in many facets. Let's look at some of these. First of these, uh, if he denied uh, the king's food, which he did, it was very, very likely that first the, the king's steward, which is the first guy to talk to Daniel about this, would have just said, and this guy needs to die now. And then when he stood before Nebuchadnezzar and made the same statement, why didn't Nebuchadnezzar kill him? The grace of God, but it was potential. Um, by the way, he spoke boldly to three emperors. <laughs> this is what cracks me up. We speak lightly to much less. See what I'm saying? I mean, we speak lightly, get scared, fearful, to people who have much less power and no ability to harm us. And Daniel looks in the face of Nebuchadnezzar, of Belshazzar, and Cyrus, and boldly proclaims the truth, good steward of the truth, despite the potential to die. He, uh, there was a great risk of misinterpreting Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. He misinterprets, or Nebuchadnezzar's not comfortable with it, everyone dies. And the lastly, as we uh, have already talked about a couple times tonight, when he prays publicly despite the decree signed by Cyrus. If that happens, potential to death. The man of God, the woman of God, is ready to suffer for God's glory. I don't care what you give me. I don't care what happens. God's glory is more important to me, is more uh, critical to me. And so that's the thing that drives me, and that's Daniel. Next slide. Number eight. Love this one. A man of God is a man of humility. Now, I, I'm sure and I would imagine that many of you have forgotten what Daniel had access to. So let's, let's look at some of these. First thing. Next slide. In uh, chapter 1, verse 17, the scripture says this. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Notice the word all there. That, that means all. That means everything. He was a six, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old dude that all, had all understanding in, wis, in visions and dreams. Uh, it puts you in that same circle, like with a bunch of other people in a distant land. But do you think at all that you would struggle with pride, right? Like, hey, guys, I can interpret any possible dream. Bring it on, right? What did you dream last night? Well, there was this one bear and this, you know. Like, we would be trying to exploit that, but not Daniel. So keep that in mind. He has all this wisdom. Next thing. Next slide. In chapter 2, verse 48, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. <laughs> okay, so wisdom was nice. Now he's literally the ruler, the, the, the second in command of Babylon, the whole province, and chief prefect, which is just a really cool title, over all the wise men of Babylon. He's over all the wise men. He's the most wise of them all, and he's in command. He's in control. He has power. And with power comes all these other things. Next slide. If it doesn't get better, then, then Belshazzar gave him command. This is a whole different king. And Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold put around his neck like Mr. T, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, picture yourself, okay? 
you're, uh, become the vice president of the U.S., just for a moment. Would you remember the little people, right? All of us here, right? Or all of a sudden some king gives you all these high honors, or you become the most wise. Do you remember what Daniel said when Belshazzar attempted, attempted him with this? This is what he said. Look at this. Next slide. Do we have, do we have another slide? Then Daniel uh, answered the king after Belshazzar like, gives him all this. He says, let your gifts be for yourself. That encompasses his, his humility more than anything. Dangling before him is this opportunity to make his name great. And he says, I don't want your gifts. Again, he puts his gifts up against his God, and his God wins every time. I don't need your gifts. Last two. Next slide. Number nine. A man of God is a man who forgoes the worship of lowercase gods and a man who worships God, uppercase. Forgoes any possible potential worship of lowercase gods, things that try to take the place of God and worships God alone. I've made it very clear through this whole book. Daniel has one God, serves one God, worships one God. Many things has been at, our, at his fingertips. Put these up. The carrot of power dangles before him many times. The opportunity to worship power here. Any men struggle with that? Worship power. Here you go. And he's like, no, no, no. If I worship power for me, then I'm denying the glory that should be given to God. And so I don't worship that. Self-glorification. So many times for him to stand before his friends and be like, I am Daniel, I'm pretty smart and pretty in control. Doesn't, denies it. I need to worship God, uppercase. Lust. Do you remember when he comes in the party with Belshazzar? A thousand lords. All of these concubines, nudity everywhere, the opportunity to lust. And what does he say amidst all that? Leave your gifts for yourself. Focused. Greed, worldly kings, and an and easy life. He doesn't want any of that because he knows they're lowercase. What's your lowercase God, men, right now? Lust is easy, and that, that's the easy thing to throw out. The reality is many of you, that, that is your lowercase God. I mean, it, it is absolutely consuming you. But what else? What else is this driving force that's taking worship away from the one true God? And you're literally bowing down to the stupid, lowercase God that has no power, that has no control, and that has no grace. Think about that. You think lust has grace? We like to think that it does. You think greed has grace? Why would we ever bow down to a God that doesn't give grace when we have the sovereign, good, almighty God who pours out grace and love? Why would we ever diminish the grace of God by bowing to a God that just wants us for its own sake, mostly controlled by the enemy, right? And lastly, number 10. The godly man is a man doesn't just start the 400 or the marathon, but finishes. It's one thing to start, isn't it? Have you had some good ideas before? Some visions for yourself? Some entrepreneurial ideas? Like, I'm going to start an ice cream shop, right? So you ordered all the necessary ingredients. You got the Blue Bunny ice cream. Any fans of Blue Bunny ice cream here, right? All right, and uh, 
They just came out. They just, unfortunately, any, any, anyone like peppermint ice cream? Right? It's only, I just went to the grocery store the other day thinking that I could get my last carton, but it was already gone. So you want to start this ice cream shop to get all the ingredients. You spend all of this money, and then you realize how difficult it is to keep an ice cream shop going in the, when it's like 13 degrees outside. And, and, and so you just stop. Daniel, from the time when he's a 14 until the time when he's 80 plus, he's a man of God. He doesn't just start out running, hoping for the best. He starts out embodying all these things. They develop, they grow, sure. His wisdom matures. He grows in experience and knowledge, sure. But when he begins this race of following God, his intention was finishing. Men, can I ask you this? Are you, are you using God as some convenient ploy for you currently? Or is your intention to finish? Has God just become for you this like momentary drug that fulfills some questions you have about eternity or warrants you some other relationships? or get you in other pieces of community? Or do you intend on following him all the days of your life? Is that your intention? The godly man, the biblical man, starts the race, as Paul said, to finish it. Now, you're, you guys have your list here. You're kind of holding this in front of you. You see these 10 things. Honestly, right now, is it, just by raise of hand, is anyone just overwhelmed? You just feel like this is hefty. Yeah. I think that's the point. I think the point of Old Testament perceived heroes, and I could list off many, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, throw a bunch of other heroes in there that we call the point of this list and seeing Daniel as a man who, by the way, doesn't have the same access to God that you do. What do you mean, Mark? He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Pre-Holy Spirit. What's the point of all these heroes? What's the point of looking at this list? Is Daniel is not the great man. Daniel's a godly man. Daniel's a man that clearly was a man of faith. But all of these Old Testament men that we perceive as heroes... Noah, Moses, Abraham, all these guys, Daniel, David. None of them are Jesus. Jesus is the better Abraham. Jesus is the better Daniel. Jesus is the better David. Daniel was a man who, who didn't fear men but fear God. Jesus feared God more. Daniel was a man of humility. Jesus, more a man of humility. Not just a man, but a God man, fully man, fully God. The point of all of these heroes and this list of these things is not so men, all of a sudden you put these on a poster with a bench press in the background and you start checking them off, right? Oh, now I'm a man of prayer, right? And a couple more reps. And now I'm this, this man of humility. That's not the point. The point for us on this side of the cross is to look at this list to remind us of Jesus. Jesus is the better Daniel. Daniel, this amazing man of God, but Christ comes, embodies all of these same characteristic traits, all these same heart desires, way more than Daniel ever did. So, 
that you could too. He dies, graciously pours out his love, sends the Holy Spirit, and tells the disciples, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will do this in a failed version. You will struggle. You won't be humble perfectly. You won't fear God perfectly. But the power of the gospel is the power of my grace that can look at all of you men in here who feel, feel like cowards right now and say there's hope. And the hope isn't in putting this list on your bulletin board and saying, all right, I guess I better start. The point is looking to King Jesus. Jesus, show me what it looks like to be a man of humility. Show me. Show me what it looks like to be someone who starts something and finishes. Jesus, born to die all of the way until he's on a cross and then an empty tomb. Are you with me, church? Jesus is the better Daniel. And so as we close our Bibles on this great book, I pray the thing you do is you look at an amazing man of God. And you compare him to God. And you say, nowhere even close. And then, and maybe just then, we understand the power of studying the Old Testament. All of these heroes waiting on the one true God. And so I encourage you men tonight to repent. Repent of your boyish ways, the childish ways that you're still trying to feed and foster some feeling inside of yourself for your own affirmation. Take this list as encouragement but take it as a means of focusing you on your hope, and your hope is in Christ and not the list. And for you females in here, you could say, well, but God's going to be gracious on this loser. Yeah, maybe, but if I'm you females, I'm not settling. I'm looking at some of these things, and I'm saying, if you're not a man of prayer, you better get to step in, boy, Right? If you're not a man of humility, if you're going to take me on a date and talk about yourself all the time, that's probably a pretty good indicator that I should just kick you to the curb. You see what I'm saying, females? Can I get a holla? A little bit, huh? Right? All of these things, they start to escalate our standard at where? Not Daniel, but who? Christ, which is where the church should be. Our standard is Christ. We will fail Jesus, but by his grace, we can stand together as the church and say, onward we go. So let's stand together, church. Oh, to live a life that we could say at the end, that was a man of God. Failed, flawed, sure. Mistakes, yeah. But that man, he loved his God. He loved his God more than anything else. And that woman, she feared her God more than her own charm or beauty. It's those kind of men and women that Christ came to redeem. Let's rest right now. And not wondering 
about all the questions or the ways. Listen, let's right now just be affirmed in the grace of the cross, all right? God, I ask that those of us in here who are feeling like cowards, those of us feeling completely dismayed or discouraged, I pray, God, that we don't look at this list, the great things that you made this man Daniel into be. I pray it doesn't discourage us, God. I pray that it encourages us, that it thrusts us to the foot of your cross in gratitude. God, we want to be more like you. God, we want to look at your son Jesus as our example for life. And so I pray that you'll turn the hearts of boys in this room and build them into godly men. And I pray for my sisters, my female friends, that they can be seekers of you and not their own beauty.